Hi, this is Joel James Live, and you're listening to Wired the Sound 88.620 Valley FM. Joel James Live is not just another singer-songwriter, he's also self-taught, a multi-instrumentalist, producer, engineer and an independent artist. He has a brand new single out called 27 Years of Plans and Joel joins me today to speak about the new single and a lot more. Welcome Joel. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great, great now. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. How did you get started in the music business? Uh, well, in the business side of it, it kind of, I slipped into the busking scene, I guess. But when I started becoming a musician, I would say that would be back in high school. And was it easier for you to be self-taught than be taught by someone else from an instrumental point of view? Um, I, I was always self-taught just because, mm. I don't know, you're in school, you pick up a hobby like guitar, and then you just teach yourself how to play guitar. And then from that, you kind of teach yourself to do what else you're interested in and then like sound engineering well that looks fun then you teach yourself that but I honestly think I probably would have profited a lot more if I did get lessons or go to perhaps university for sound things like that have you since gone to someone professionally no YouTube is the best teacher of all because everything is right there that's probably my, my, my teacher I would say is YouTube for the most part so what's the story behind 27 years of plans um um, it came from, um, I guess it started from the very start of my career. I always had this idea or goal or something in my head that uh, pretty much told me that if I didn't make it, as in like making a big, by the age of 27, then I may as well just, you know, see you later, find something else, get a real job. I don't know. Um, because, I don't know, I think maybe all my, my idols back when I was young all seemed to make it by the magic number of 27. <laughs> and then uh, it was actually a toxic thing to put into my own head because it only put more pressure on my shoulders with each year getting closer to 27. And then I turned 27 and it was I was a bit miserable for that reason, but like that was kind of it. Like I got over it pretty quickly and I'm like, hey, I'm still writing music. I'm still a musician. It's still my job. I'm... <laughs> that was so dumb. <laughs> um and um, and then when I returned to songwriting after turning 27, I was like, it was like freedom. You know, I was like writing songs because I wanted to write them and I loved writing. And it's like the love for songwriting returned once that burden and pressure was gone. Because when I was writing songs before, it was very much like, oh, is this a bit too edgy or is this, this sound? I've never really, you know, no one uses this sound or like I should do everything properly. You know, the kids of today like it. How Like, you know what I mean? Mm, so, mm. like, when I look back on it, I'm just like, that was so silly. Um, and now I'm writing songs like, like crazy, like with other people and, like, um, in a band situation and, like, uh, people that play at the same bars and I do, we just decide to write a song together and it's just so enjoyable and that kind of went um, before I turned 27 and after it, it's... It, it, it all came back. I got to love music again in that sense, and the song kind of celebrates that. It's a bit of a long answer, but that's essentially the song is more like that rediscovery of you know all these plans. You know, you failed essentially at it, but hey, it's for the best. It's almost like sounding like you had an epiphany. Yeah, kind of something <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that song like very quickly. 
um, after turning 27, and then I'm just like, oh, that's quite poetic. Yeah, very much an epiphany song. I, I like that. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your next song can be called Epiphany. Yeah, that's a great title. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you describe the single as not only being a proud moment, but why was it vulnerable as well? Because uh, essentially I'm telling everyone, hey, uh, my entire life goal failed, <laughs> mm. um, but I'm happy about it. It's a weird thing. Like, you don't really want to, like, you know when you see, you know, friends from school, I guess, mm. see them after all these years and like, oh, you know, I bought a house and I'm getting married and I'm having kids and, you know, how's the music business? And it's just kind of like, well, the dream I had kind of failed, but I'm still a musician. It's not like a, it's not something you go around telling yeah. people proudly. Yeah, it's yeah. More just like, it was more a personal um, thing for me. It's just mm. kind of like, uh, well, I guess that's that. And, you know, now I'm enjoying music again. How ironic, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, so I'd say that part of it's quite vulnerable to, um, yeah, say you failed quite miserably um, as to what your goal was. But um, that whole time I was failing in another sense, you know? And what's the key to sound engineering and mastering it well? Uh, I am, by me, by all means, no expert at that. As I said, I've not had mm. an education. Mm. Uh, most of it is very much trial and error um, mm. from my experience. But my ultimate key to that is whatever sounds the best. You know, some people say technically you should do this, this and this in this order. But if you decide to put your vocals through, you know, a guitar amp or a bass amp simulation and then feed it back into something else and then and then it ends up sounding cool, then, you know, do it. You know, you don't have to follow the, the traditional, you know, compressor, EQ, compressor, this, that, reverb, delay, you know. Mm. Um, and mastering is very much... So, yeah, it's very hard, obviously, to mix and be a sound engineer and stuff. And like I said, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I'd say I'm definitely still learning. But um, the hardest part is um, finding space for everything in the mix because, like, you think, well, I'll put this and I'll put this and I'll put this. And all of a sudden, you can't hear the first thing you put and then you turn that up and then you can't hear something else and it just sounds like this wall of sound. And it's about making sure everything sits in its own little pocket um, and not overdoing it. Um, and then mastering is just essentially trying to make it sound loud enough for, like, radio mm. without taking away the magic without squishing the track yeah. and making it just sound like noise and yeah yeah it's a very delicate process sometimes but i just enjoy it's like a puzzle i enjoy trying to put the puzzle together and see what i can make things sound like sometimes is very enjoyable which three people have been the most influential to you on a music level three people mm-hmm influential to me on a music level i would have to say the first one would be my dad um because he was a musician yeah um although he didn't want me to be a musician (laughs) he knows how a bit unfair the music industry can be (laughs) but i ended up becoming one anyway um and he was influential in the sense that there would be times you know early or later in my career where i would just be speaking to him about it and he would say well, you know what? And then he would tell me a story and that story doesn't directly answer the question, but it <laughs> did answer the question. And I had I had a fair bit of that, which really helped, especially earlier on, um, things that he heard from other musicians as well. So that's number one. I have to say dad is number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm going to go with my all-time favourite band, as cliche as it is, 
the Beatles, uh, just because of how free they were with wanting to experiment when it came to those albums and stuff like that. It's just, I always try and think when making new music, how would they have experimented with this, you know? like, yeah. And sometimes I go a little bit too far and try and bring it back, but like, no matter how many bands I fall in love with, how many bands I listen to, I always find myself at least like once every few months having a, like a week where I'm just obsessed with the Beatles again and <laughs> to their music over and over and over and over until I get like tired of it again. I'll find someone else and then revisit again in another few months. So number two would be them. And I would have to say number three uh, would be Ed Sheeran for the oh, reason yes. that, yes. yeah, the first time I saw him mm. was on a YouTube video. He was doing his like a couple of his songs in a studio and he was using a loop pedal. Yes, he yes. blew my mind. I'm like, yeah. what is that? And the way he was using it, he was hitting mm. the guitar and making drum noises and stuff. And I'm like, that's insane. Literally oh, yeah. the next day, I went and got one. <laughs> um, and it took me a while to get the hang of it, but I did. And now, like, I would almost say that is my draw card with getting these gigs at all these uh, bars and music venues from, like, in Melbourne and St Kilda is... Um, People love the, and I don't spend too much time like making a track. I won't spend like three to four minutes making a loop. I spend about five seconds. You know, sometimes all it is is a, a few smacks on the guitar and then a little riff and then away you go, you know, but it just makes that difference. Mm. And that is what started my pub kind of side of things is I went to open mic nights and people loved that part of it. My voice wasn't so great back in the day and mm. my guitar playing was very, you know, ordinary. But I was pretty cool with the loop pedal. And it was more of a not so much impressive in the sense of he's really good. It was more, that's really cool. Yeah. And i gotta, I got to thank Ed Sheeran for that because he kind of got that part of my life started just that one night watching random YouTube videos. So number one, Dad, number two, the Beatles, number three, Ed Sheeran. Thank you all very much. <laughs> <laughs> You've also been described as sounding like almost like 21 pilots. Would that be true? <laughs> yeah, uh, back in the day, my first song that I released actually did well. Um, it got on some radio stations, and one was um, this one in Gold Coast, a really popular one called Hot Tomato. And yeah, um, yeah and um, the I think it was um, Scoot, the presenter. Yeah. Um, he goes, "Imagine if uh, Twenty One Pilots and Imagine Dragons had a baby." That's <laughs> kind of what this sounds like, and I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> But yeah, I Very um, interesting. my yeah in my YouTube career, I had like a, a couple of years where I was banging out covers every week, like proper studio made. I say studio made, but they were made yeah. at home. Um, covers every week. A lot of the Twenty One Pilot ones went very well, and people were saying I do their their sound well, and that's probably that was mm. that one of my favorite bands um, in the modern day. So it would make sense that some things do sound like Twenty One Pilots, yeah. And what's the one stereotype regarding the music industry that you feel isn't true and that you want to say something regarding it? Yeah, I've, I've heard this one get thrown around a bit. Um, oh, it's true to a point um, because it would fall under branding. But some mm. people say it's all about how you look. Like you don't even need to be that good. You just As long as you look good. And, and um, I think what they mean is like if you're an attractive person, like mm. if you're relatively like attractive to most people, um, you know, you could be like doing much better with your career just because you're better looking, which I think is a bit of an odd one mm, um, because yeah. I do think how you look 
matters in the sense of branding. Yes. So, um, you know, Kiss, for instance, mm. is a great example. The faces, you know, it's cool. Uh, that's how they look. But, like, um, some people honestly think that if you're a very attractive uh, person, that that could give you a massive advantage. And, sure, you might get a little bit more attention on social media in that sense because, you know, you know what? that can be like but i don't think that that is necessarily the truth i think perhaps you could get a little bit more attention if you're a very very attractive person as compared to someone who is not um but i don't think that will make a difference on how you get received in the music industry as a musician and has being a singer songwriter helped you overcome your nerves and build up your confidence yeah yeah, I was very shy. I was very awkward and very shy. I still am a little bit socially awkward, but in a funny way. Um, but yeah, before I really started um, becoming the singer-songwriter, um, I was very, very shy um, coming out of high school as well. I couldn't speak to people easily unless I was, you know, going out and having a lot to drink because that's a very easy thing to do once you had a few drinks. But um, yeah became a singer like started writing songs started busking which that was a big confidence booster too because if you can do a good job busking you can kind of do a good job anywhere um and that just it just it just knocked down a few barriers for me you know Mm. i think most of us can like get quite anxious in certain social situations and Mm. i still do of course but i was very very awkward (laughs) um so yeah becoming a singer songwriter being on stage every night getting constant chit chat from random people that I have never met and probably will never see again and um, just constantly being thrown into those situations because of my music is definitely been a massive confidence boost you know even if I don't do a good job on one night Mm. um, people will still talk to you anyway because you know you're singing songs they appreciate it you know they want to have a chat yeah, huge confidence boost, yeah. Now, the music business could place a lot of demands on artists with regards to releasing a single and then following up with a, another single soon after within a short space or releasing an album and then another album. As an artist yourself, do you agree with those demands or you're happy to take your time in releasing material when you feel like it? Two answers to that question. I mm. love writing material and releasing mm. it when I would like. Yeah. Um, I find that so much more freeing. Mm. So as an artist, the freedom there is is much, much, much preferred. But uh, technically, and it does work a lot better if you release a song and then a couple of months or a few months later, another one and then another one and another one, you kind of just keep this momentum going. Mm. And one song's success runs into the next song's success, which runs into the next and so on. Um, And it's so much easier to do well that way. Personally, I've been very, I haven't done that well, the, mm. the consistency part, mm. um, because I like the freedom of when I'm ready, I'll release a song. I, I write a lot of songs that I don't like or I don't think um, I should release. And there's a, a whole folder on my computer of just mm. random tracks that I could probably work on and release one after the other. But um, this release in particular was my first release in, since the middle of the super long lockdown in um, COVID in Victoria, Mm. um, which that's a long time. (laughs) Um, And nowadays with social media, we're taught that consistency and content is key. Like as long as you put something up every day on TikTok, you will do better than if you put one good thing up 
every two weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there is a big advantage to being very consistent with um, constantly releasing, releasing music and content and videos and then a live version of the song. And it definitely makes a huge difference. So I would agree that it is a better career move. But if you're anything like me, you just like to release songs when you're ready and constantly having that shoved in your face actually makes you very very anxious like oh i need to write i need to write and then you can't write because you feel like you need to write and it's just this spiral yeah (laughs) you feel that pressure yeah and that kind of kills the magic for me Mm. sometimes i can sit there all day and write absolute garbage if i'm under pressure and then one day i won't have pressure i'll sit at the piano and write almost an entire song in the space of five or ten minutes and it's like well Funny how that works. And which of the socials can people find you on? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, um, and then all obviously the, the music platforms like Spotify and yeah. Apple Music, uh, Deezer, if you use it, Amazon. It's all the same name, mm. which is Joel James Live. Live. I was very lucky to have all of it under the same name. <laughs> um so anywhere you look, just Joel James live. And then hopefully I would be one of the first you see. <laughs> <laughs> and 27 Years of Plans is out now on all streaming services. Joel, it's been lovely talking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with Wired for Sound and all the best for the rest of 2022. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. You're most welcome. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.